would please stand with me as we read together God's Word, for God does indeed speak to us through it. So this is Ephesians 4 and verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, you are so abundantly gracious to us and generous to us, and you desire that we would have a heart of generosity as well. Part of your generosity and your grace is that you speak to us in ways that are gentle and clear, and you give us your Holy Spirit so that we might understand and apply these things. And so we pray that you do just that, even through the words of this sinful preacher, that you would hear, help us to hear your voice clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in the midst of this election season that we find ourselves, there is a trigger word that I'm sure that you've heard <clears throat> on more than one occasion, and that word is the word socialism. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into a precise definition of that because in this particular debate, I don't know that that's really relevant, um, but get, to get to the heart of this particular debate, I think we could summarize both, the argument on both sides of this debate is saying, I want what I deserve. I want what I deserve. And I say that because on the one hand, we have people saying, I do not have what I deserve. There is some great economic chasm that it lies before me. I am on the wrong side of it. And there is no way that I can cross this chasm unless the government should intervene and help bridge that gap. And on the other side of the argument, there are those that say, I have what I deserve because I have worked hard for my, uh, the things that I have. I have been successful. I've dedicated my life to being diligent. Why should the government punish me for my success? And God's word is not, <laughs> I'm sure you know, a political or economic textbook, and it's not a guideline for good public policy, but it does speak to our hearts, and it does help us to consider what is the way that we ought to think as individuals. And when we come to this particular passage, I think of all the commands that we've received so far in the book of Ephesians, for us as 21st century Americans, this might be one of the more uncomfortable ones for us to deal with. And I say that because I think on the one hand, if God were simply to say to his people, I desire for you to be generous, we might be able to accept that because we would define generosity by our own terms. And the way we typically define our own generosity is by saying, I'm going to take care of myself and out of the excess of what's left, I will be generous. But when we look at this passage, what we see is a completely different uh, economic mindset that our God would have us have. And that's, if we could summarize it, it is we ought to work and work diligently so that we can be generous for the intentional purpose of being able to give it away and have something to share. Or, to be, speak even more broadly, the believer in Christ must put away selfishness and put on a self-sacrificing heart in order to be able to be generous in the way they care for one another. 
Um, we've talked each week about how Paul follows this pattern of put off, put on, and then here's why. And he certainly follows that pattern in this verse. He says, let the thief, or, let the thief no longer steal, so put off stealing. Put on honest work, and the reason is so that he can have something to share with anyone in need. So let's start with the first. He says, let the thief no longer steal. And the word for thief, uh, literally he says, let the one who steals no longer steal. Uh, It's the same root word in Greek, and that Greek word is the word klepto. Uh, We have a term in English, kleptomaniac, somebody who compulsively steals. It's that same mindset, and that's kind of getting to the heart of what actually Paul is saying, somebody who is compulsively stealing. Now, uh, in the original context, this would probably, they would have thought that this was directed towards uh, the working poor. So somebody who's actually working, but is not making a whole lot of money. Somebody whose uh, income kind of rises and falls with the seasons. And at times... When the income is low, they supplement their income by taking things that aren't theirs, either from their employers or from others. This wouldn't be probably directed towards slaves or servants because those people would not have received compensation, uh, financial compensation for their work. And later he says, uh, let them work so that they would have something to share. And this probably wouldn't be pointed towards the wealthy um, in context because the wealthy would not have been expected to work with their hands. And Paul is giving that exhortation. So he's, he, he seems to be directing this towards those who actually are working but aren't making a whole lot. Those who uh, are taking uh, the things that they um, have not earned. Um, and he says to those people, he says, let them... Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work or good work with his own hands. Um, the, the, the turning to is to actually work, and to work uh, doing good work or hard work. The, the term Paul uses um, suggests uh, a difficult work or intense work. He's applying, this person is applying themselves to uh, this, this work. Uh, and this honest work, this good work, this would have been work that was pleasing to their employer, uh, not just for their own purposes, but he's, uh, he or she is doing this work to uh, make their employer happy with the expectation that, as a result, they'll receive additional compensation so that they could give that away. And, he's, and it's, it's in, in this case, uh, manual labor with their own hands. Uh, it's not something where they're He's exhorting like a management position. He's saying, actually get your hands dirty and do do that work. And um, I think if the text were to stop right there, for a lot of us here, we probably would be okay with where, where he's going there. Because, um, well, it's not true for all of us. I mean, there's an element that's, if we're called to work, there's an element of our hearts, I think, that are prone to a certain degree of laziness. But I think a lot, a lot of us here have actually come to understand the, the beauty and the joy of hard work, of diligent work. God has created us for work as part of the original design of Adam 
uh, when God put him in the garden, he put him in to, to work it. And so there is a certain degree of satisfaction that we sense in a job well done. There's a certain uh, joy in finding that thing that it, God has equipped you to do and to actually be able to do it, especially when it's for the benefit of other people. Uh, so I think that might be uh, helpful to us to, to kind of consider that. But Paul does, but the why always matters. The why always matters. And there's a certain element that we can make work into an idol, and we're doing work for the sake of our own purposes, our own joy and our own satisfaction. But look at the reason that he gives. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him do this labor so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The purpose that he's saying for the person to work is not for their own benefit, but so that they will have something to share with someone else. And this is a radical redefinition of the purpose for our work. I mean, imagine it. Imagine if you met somebody who you saw showed up to work early each day, worked diligently, didn't waste their time on their phone or surfing that or or, you know, goofing around, you know, in conversations, but worked diligently, exceeded in what they did, showed excellence and skill and tried to improve everything that they did. And you stopped and you asked them, wow, you know, you really seem to love your job. You know, it, it, is, that what, is that what fuels you? You just find great satisfaction. And they said, well, yes, I do love my job, but that's not why I'm doing this. Well, it must be because you have career goals, because you're trying to excel up the corporate ladder. You're, you've got these ideas of positions that you want to have. And they say, well, yes, I do have some goals, but that's not why I'm working like this, because I can't guarantee that. Well, certainly you have significant debt or, you know, you have things on your purchase list that you want to buy. You're trying to save up money. You want to go on some trip. Well, I want to be faithful steward, but that's not why I'm doing this. And then you say, okay, fine, what is the reason? The reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm excelling at my job and pouring my life into my work is so that I will have something to give, to give to others who are in need. And friends, I think that's, that's radical generosity. That is a completely different way of thinking than us who are very blessed. That's not the way that we tend to think. It goes beyond giving out of excess to working for the sake of being able to give. So, but think about the fact that Paul is writing this. When we think about a thief, we tend to think we put this picture in our head of what that means. And certainly that doesn't apply to believers. And yet remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, to those who are saints, he calls them, those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And these are ones that lived in a former way, but now are called to live having put on Christ. And that applies to us as well. We have been saved by the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed, but we are to put off those old ways of thinking and putting on Christ. So when we if we're going to consider that, 
and we're going to say that this applies to us, I think it's important for us to ask, well, what is a thief? And Elder Broom started to hint at this just a little bit. But a thief, uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 mentioned that Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. When it's true. But a thief is somebody who is a um, exclusive recipient. Uh, somebody who only receives. And what's more, takes it a step further, they're one who takes something that hasn't, they have not been given. So they are a taker um, uh, instead of um, giving or even receiving. And I think the heart of what is in a thief is a heart that I think you and I have, which is, I deserve this more than you do, and so I'm willing to take it. You don't belong, you don't, you don't deserve this. I deserve it. So, applying this to us, in what ways are you only taking? In what ways are you, do you have a heart that says, I deserve I'm going to only receive, I'm not going to give. Now, don't get me wrong, receiving is not wrong. The heart of the gospel is what we have received in Jesus Christ. Uh, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has gone over and over and over about all the things that we have received in Christ. We have received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. We have, in him, we have obtained an inheritance a glorious inheritance that is ours, that is secure in heaven. And we've received the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee of that inheritance. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 2, he says that you have been saved by grace through faith. This is a gift that God has given to us. So receiving is a good thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He's given us his son and every blessing and benefit that comes along with him. And those are ours. So if it's better to give than to receive, God glorifies himself by being the ultimate giver, the ultimate gifter. And we are the recipients of that. But what we have to ask ourselves is, is that enough for us? Or do, do our hearts grab for something else. We're still looking for something else to satisfy us, and we're taking what God has not given to us. And what's more, I think we ought to recognize that the things that we have, the things that we have been given, have come as a result of God's diligent work. God's diligent work on our behalf. Ephesians 2 says that we are His workmanship created. God created us. He did the work of creating us, and he's recreating us in the image of his son. And his son, our salvation, is contingent upon Christ's perfect work. Christ, the creator of the universe, came in the form of a carpenter, a person who works with their hands. He diligently worked with his hands. And the work of salvation, the work of faithfulness that he lived out, 
was hard work of withstanding every temptation, of perfectly proclaiming the gospel in his name, in marching towards Jerusalem to be uh, on trial, to be crucified, to withstand the brutal and violent death that he underwent, to, to hang and receive the wrath of God poured out on him on our behalf, and to be raised to new life and then ascended into the heavenly realms, and now to intercede for us. That's hard work that he gave up of himself so that he could share. The inheritance that we have been given is from his share. He earned that so that he could share it with those who are in need. And and if you remember, the end of that passage in Ephesians 2, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us that we should do them. And part of that, part of those good works is good work. Good and honest work. Working diligently so that we would have something to share with anyone in need. And so... If we can see it, what God is desiring as he conforms us to the image of his son is he's moving us away from a self-centered, me-first mentality to a self-sacrificing heart. One that is just like his son, as we hear in Philippians chapter 2, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped and held onto, but gave himself up and was obedient even to the point of death on a cross so that he could usher us into his heavenly kingdom and lavish on us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And I think to a certain extent, our consciences understand this notion of working for the benefit of other people because those of us who are parents have already practiced this. It's a culturally acceptable thing for parents to provide and work diligently to provide for their kids. Uh, We go to work to give them food on the table, clothes on their back, a roof over their head. And even for those of us who have kids that are preparing to go to college or have gone off to college, it's customary in, in many situations for parents to take on another job or take on an additional job or start to save up money so that they can help provide their way through, for their kids through college. Their kids have a need. Their parents have the opportunity to work and they're sharing out of the, what they have. They're doing what they're doing to, to share with those who are in need. And I think what we see in Ephesians, Paul has been saying that, he, that God has put us into a family with one another. And that that same mentality that comes naturally for us when it comes to our biological children, God would have us have that same mindset to our brothers and sisters in the body, to see this as a true family where we are truly caring for one another needs, one another's needs. And we see that in the book of Acts. As we went through our Acts Bible study, we saw that in Acts chapter 2, where they were selling their possessions, they were selling property, and they were giving to those who had a need. Again, in Acts chapter 4, And in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says that he worked with his hands so that nobody would uh, 
so he wouldn't be dependent, but that he could share out of what the Lord had given to him. And so in a in this new mindset, we are taking on what the Lord Jesus would have us do with this heart of generosity. And it's a different motivation for work. Um, if we're commanded to work and to work diligently, our our hearts react to the Lord's commands by going in one or two directions, I think. Either one, we have an inherent laziness where we try to uh, not do what we're supposed to do. Or on the other hand, we make an idolatrous response out of it where work becomes a satisfaction and a pursuit in and of itself. Um, and what we see here is that we're called to work, but it's a, a, a working that is there for the purpose of being able to serve one another, an opportunity for self-sacrifice, not for self-gratification. So if we are stealing, um, how, how do we steal? I think there, it's possible that we, some of us are actually stealing, actually taking um, things, possessions, or money that uh, aren't, is not ours. I think we can be stealers by being only takers or receivers and not being somebody who gives back um, and serves. Um, I think uh, it's very easy for us to not do honest work or good work, as he's saying. Um, in, in previous employers in my software days, I, I saw times where people were angry uh, about not receiving a promotion or a raise or a bonus or stock options or something like that. And the response was, well, now there's no real reason for me to work hard because I'm not getting, there's, there's no point of, of doing this because I'm not getting what I desire out of it. Out of it. So that's, that's a form of stealing. And for those of us who can feel that pull that like there is a the heart of theft, hear what Paul says, he says, let the thief no longer steal. You need to put that theft aside and you need to put on diligent work with a generous heart. And when it comes to not feeling like like feeling like we have to grab for the things that we want, I think Proverbs 30 is helpful. There's a essentially like a prayer that the, that the person writing the Proverbs says. It says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There's a danger of both being wealthy and in being poor. And the prayer is, Lord, give me neither. <laughs> Help me to be faithful and generous. But I think uh, we can be a bit honest as well. I mean, we're worshiping this morning in Prosper, Texas, which is one of the wealthiest towns in one of the wealthiest counties, in one of the wealthiest states, in the wealthiest country in this world. So the fact that we are actually stealing financially, uh, while we can make that argument, um, that may be not quite as true as in other areas, but there is an aspect where I think that we are quite guilty of theft, and that is in our use of time. Uh, the, the there's a phrase, time is money. And 
I think we can make the argument that often we exchange time for money. And in the midst of our financial wealth, we have pursued that financial security and we are no longer financially poor. We are financially wealthy and yet we are chronologically impoverished. We have so little time, so little buffer in our lives that we have nothing to give. We have, we have consumed our time with work obligations or pursuits, with family obligations, with personal obligations, and there's so little left that any amount that's left, we say, that's me time. <laughs> and so if a need arises of any kind, we say, I'm sorry, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. And what we're saying is it's that same heart of theft that says, you do the work for me because I deserve my time for me. I deserve my time for my things. And can you see how Paul has been talking about the importance of the unity of the, of the body and how we are members of one another? And can you see how that heart is so destructive to the unity and the effectiveness and the maturity of the body. Because if, as Paul said, he has gifted the members of his body with gifts, that when each part is working properly, it builds itself up. If one part says, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. I don't have time to, to serve in that way because I have consumed all my time. The, the church is poor. The body of Christ is affected because we do no longer have the benefit of those gifts, of that building up. There's no longer that, um, that blessing from that individual. And it's, it's a difficult thing. I mean, we, we, we can be honest about it. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult thing. The, the key for us as believers is to properly balance and to hold these things in tandem. We are called to work hard. We are called to love our families. We are called to do lots of different things. We need to hold them in balance. And we need wisdom for that. But, but see, see for us how the Lord would transform our thinking. Our God says that his commands are not burdensome. This is not intended to be a command that would weigh us down with, with guilt, but rather to build us up as a body and as individuals. Um, it is a command that is for your glory and benefit. We're commanded to do these things because of the darkness of our heart, of our pattern of doing things. We fail to see the blessing and the gift that God has given to us in living in a way that's pleasing to Him. Consider what God has given to us. He has given to us the opportunity to be the vessels of His generosity, the vessels of His blessing, the vessels of His gifts. Some of us have been in a position where we have had to cry out to the Lord to say, Lord, I don't know how to put food on the table. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to have enough money to pay my mortgage payment. What the, what the Lord is commanding is that the thief would no longer steal, but would have something to give to share. 
Now he's given, he's transformed that thief into an, an agent of God's benevolent grace, his generosity in providing for his children. And now that thief who was a taker now experiences the joy of being part of God's giving grace, his loving grace. And for some of us, we, we have so much to do. And we say, we cry out, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. I don't know how I'm going to complete it. And there's a blessing when somebody comes along and says, well, I'll help with that. I will help with that. You know, how can I help? And all of a sudden, the work gets done, and you can say, praise God. And that person who gave up of their time is now been a vessel of God's work in providing and answering that prayer. It's, it's a way of building unity and joy and effectiveness of the body of Christ in a way that is beautiful where he turns the stealer into the sharer and the dishonest beneficiary to the honest and gracious benefactor. And this is an about face of heart that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul has said that same spirit, that spirit, that the powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is that same spirit that works these things in our hearts. And it's a glorious gift that he gives us, our God gives us a share of his work, a share of the joy and the grace of being vessels of his mercy and grace. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful way that he knits us together and binds us in perfect joy and harmony. We are members one of another, Paul has said. And so we ought to have that care and concern and love and generous heart towards one another. He's working in us a love that helps us to see those needs. We have to see those needs in, able, in order to be able to provide those needs. So now he's giving us a heart for one another in a way that we didn't before. And he's conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, who left his glorious throne and everything that he had for you and for me so that he could bring us together and work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What an amazing God. What a, what a glorious plan. What a, what a precious gift for us. May we live in a way that's pleasing to him for his glory and our benefit. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you are abundantly gracious to us and uh, it's a gift that you would help us to see your gracious provision, even in the midst of a, a passage, a short passage on stealing. And yet your grace abounds evermore. Help us to live in, in this way. Help us to be conformed to the image of your Son, in whom is our hope and our joy. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.